Good morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Berry, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk to you about college basketball, the NFL, the MLB, and of course, our signature segments, Mike Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 168. If you want to listen to something comedic, you should go back to our special from last week and listen to us discuss and create our own 8311 group bracket. Because after watching the the first and second rounds of the tournament this past weekend, I think it's absolutely, it's, it's just funny how poorly we, we made some of these choices. Um, but who could have predicted them? I certainly couldn't. Out of the second round, Iowa State's going to the Sweet 16, and they are still undefeated in a non-conference game. That's right, the Iowa State men's basketball team is 15-0 and in non-conference play, which to me is insane, but... What's even more insane is that Iowa has not been to the Sweet 16 since hiring Fran McCaffrey in 2010. That means that TJ Otzelberger, rookie coach for Iowa State, now has more Sweet 16 appearances than Fran McCaffrey does. Let that sink in while we go and talk about this men's team and the games that we played this past week. Yeah, so we the men opened up with a win over the LSU Tigers. We talked about their kind of matchup and what we thought about them last week, we were a little bit scared. We thought it was a bad matchup for us, but the men did manage to pull that game off 59 to 54. Uh, it was a defensive battle and it was ugly. And we saw that theme continue when they went and played Wisconsin in a virtual home game. Uh, if you watched that on the TV, it was crazy how many Wisconsin fans were there and they beat the Badgers 54 to 49. So uh, Iowa State allowed 103 points in both games combined. And just for reference, Texas Tech scored 97 points against Montana State alone. So just some general uh, idea of how crazy the defensive effort has been in this postseason. Um, It just seems like other teams and other conferences are not ready for what the Big 12 looks like. We've seen our team get pushed around and handled a lot in Big 12 play, but I don't think anybody is used to playing a top 40 top 50 defense basically every single game for two months it it toughens you up and it makes you a much better team and I think we saw that um just some quick numbers that I looked up for our team just these two games combined uh, we won both games while shooting 35.1 percent from the floor combined we did not score over 60 points in a single game shot 29 percent from three but we held our opponent to 33% from the field and 14.6 from three-point overall. And Wisconsin shot 9.1% from three-point. I don't know what they uh, average on the season off the top of my head, but I guarantee you it's not 9.1%. It's not that bad. No. And this team has had struggles with turnovers in the past, but in those two games combined, we averaged out our steals and turnovers, 24 steals to 24 turnovers. And if we can keep that going... We have a pretty good chance. Uh, I couldn't find any numbers on it online, but one of the biggest differences I saw in both these games were actually converting points off turnovers, which is something we've talked at length about, why we have not been able to do that. So definitely a big deal. Um, Throughout this whole season, we have seen Isaiah Brockington kind of buoy us, be our lifeboat, lift us up when we do not have any offense, and just kind of Take whatever shot he needs to take, step backs, turnarounds, guys in his face, and he will make that. Has not really been the case in the postseason. In that first game, we had Tyrese Hunter show up and go 7 of 11 from three. 
including some crazy long distance shots at the end of the shot clock. Um, he got 23 points overall and he shot 27.5% from three on the season and somehow went seven of 11 in the biggest game of his young career. Um, hopefully we can see a little bit more of that and we can hope that that's some signs of things to come. We see that there's a little bit of a possibility of improvement from three because that's been the weak point in his game so far. Um, and then in that second game versus Wisconsin, uh, an- another unlikely hero stepped up in Gabe Kalsher, uh, he, much he maligned. Game. He had his one game for his month and a half. This was it. This was it. It came at a good time. Uh, especially for him, uh, obviously, as we all know, and Mike especially, playing games at Minnesota before, very familiar and not very fond, as he said after the game of Wisconsin, went yeah, ahead and a, stepped up. He's a good Minnesotan, unlike Brad Davidson, who goes to Wisconsin and he's an idiot. Gabe Couch is a self-respecting <laughs> Minnesotan who hates the That's Badgers. That's right. Every self-respecting Minnesotan hates the Badgers. And he showed that. He went 10 of 19 for 22 points. Played great defense for most of the game, and especially at the end of the game. I don't know if you guys noticed this. Every time it was close, it seemed like he was right there for a rebound or a tip. He was in the right place almost every single time. Isaiah Brogdon, 10 of 31 so far in this postseason. Uh, You can kind of expect a little bit of low percentages sometimes with that high degree of difficulty shot selection diet he takes. We just have to hope that he can kind of turn it on. We're definitely going to need it. Uh, Iowa State plays Miami next. Um, I do not have the game time in front of me. It'd be eight eight fifty nine, eight fifty nine tip off, but that's estimated because there's they're the second game uh, in Chicago, so it'll be approximately twenty five minutes after the end of the KU Providence game. I don't know if you guys have thoughts on either of the games. Anything you thought stood out to you? Uh, differences, reasons why we were so successful in those two games when we had struggled earlier in the season. I mean, to me, the the only difference between this game and some of the really, really ugly Iowa State games that we watched, um, like um, the game against West Virginia at West Virginia or at Texas, right, was that we had a, a player step up, right? Like if Tyrese Hunter doesn't step up and have a big game and he just has an average game, we probably lose by 10 points to LSU. If Gabe Kalsher has a normal game, we probably lose by 10 points to Wisconsin, right? So that's the difference, right? The, it's been a very, it's been one player stepping up the difference between being a Sweet 16 team and just looking awful and going home to LSU like I sort of expected we would. Um, that's been the thing for me. It, the margin of error when you're not good offensively is very small. I don't think you can overstate the defense, though. 54 points and 49 points. It's almost hard to lose by 10 points if you only allow 49 points on the other end. Like, the defense has been incredible. Like, they've been good all season long, but they stepped up, and maybe it was getting out a little early in the tournament and having some rest. I thought they looked tired in their last couple games of the regular season. Maybe that rest has reinvigorated them and they're tired of everybody telling us we shouldn't be there and we're going to get beat by every single team and there's a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. But I thought the defense was as good as I've ever seen it. Yeah, I love Kuntz at the five, that small lineup. Um, I think he's he's really effective playing there. I think we can move the ball and shoot better and stretch defenses better. 
were not a great driving team, um, as we've noticed this year. And I think not having a center in the middle opens up some more of those driving lanes too, which helps. The rotation has been has been definitely different here over the last um, over this tournament. It's certainly not what I expected. Yeah, I think uh, Kuntz is a great example of somebody who just seems to make a big impact without being in the box score as much. Like like you said, he stretches out the defense. Even if he's not shooting, it takes a guy out of the paint and gives chance for either Brockington or Hunter or even Kalsher. I mean, he was doing a lot inside the arc this game. They just have more room to operate inside. And obviously, like you said, with the lineup, a little bit different than normal. We hadn't seen Trey Jackson in about a month. He, I don't even know that he had really checked into the game other than spot minutes. And then all of a sudden, we had a surprise start from Ina Runa, who I I could be wrong. I don't recall off the bat, but I don't think he started since basically our first conference game against Baylor. Well, he had like he had like 27 in that game, too. He, he was very good. He went for like 20 and 10, I think. But I'm, it's interesting that all of a sudden, at the most crucial point of the season, uh, Coach DJ decides to mix it up, try some new things. I don't know if he's been secretly holding the back and secret weapons so people have less film on them or if he just decided they had been playing well in practice and he likes what the looks look like but kind of an interesting little wrinkle to keep an eye on and to see uh what happens going forwards yeah i mean jackson didn't play great i don't think he scored at all i think he took two points versus lsu and i don't believe he shot at all versus wisconsin yeah i think he missed two threes against lsu yeah and one of them was like at the very end of a, a shot clock too i think yeah but it's good to see his hustle and things like that are, are really good to see. So, And so, Kyle, I know you previously mentioned um, that, or on a previous episode that you weren't sure you liked um, the way uh, Otzelberger used his timeout. So I just want to highlight um, that what I thought was a, such a great timeout um, that Otzelberger used with, um, what is it, with 9.04 left in the game. Um, so Iowa State was up 38-30. to 30. And then Wisconsin gets back-to-back buckets to make it 38-34. Um, and Otzelberger takes a timeout there, which you might think is a little early to take a timeout, still up by four. But that was such a key timeout. Um, we stretched that lead back out to eight. And from that point, um, we sort of kept uh, Wisconsin at arm's reach um, for most of the game. So I think that timeout was very, very well used by Otzelberger and was very effective. I don't think he waited too late. I think a lot of coaches wait too late to take that time out. And and Otzelberger did not there, so that was nice to see. There's, there's a lot of nice to see. Sure, the games were ugly, but there was a lot of nice to see in these games. That's 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 my take. So, in March, just win. Ugly games are the games that we want to be in. We know we don't have that offensive talent that other teams have, so if we can drag everybody down to our level... We have a lot more experience scoring in the 50s than they probably do, and I think that's a good thing. I will say the officiating from the LSU game to the Wisconsin game seemed very drastic to me. We had two defensive first teams in LSU and Iowa State, and I feel like the officiating crew really let them play. There was a lot of physicality. People were getting up into bodies, and there wasn't a ton of stuff being called. Uh, We did still foul quite a bit because that's just what our team looks like, and if we lose versus Miami, I would bet it's at the foul line. Through those two games, we're getting out. I mean, we've taken 26 free throws through two games, and our opponents have taken 48, so keep an eye on that. But in the Wisconsin game, I just thought there were a lot of ticky-tack fouls called. Kyle and I were talking about an awful 
a legal screen charge where a Wisconsin player just charged into the back of George Condit, who was supposed to, I guess, become a ghost and let him pass through him. It was not a screen at all, so I don't know how it was an offensive screen. I don't know how you call a moving screen when a guy's not setting a screen. He he didn't screen. (laughs) But I thought they called a lot of bad fouls and a lot of offensive fouls, like a ton of offensive fouls. So if they call it more on the, uh, you know, let them play in, that's obviously going to benefit us. We're a tough team. We play hard. We're going to get in your jersey. If they call all these weak fouls on the the sidelines, and that'll make it harder for us because we're going to get into foul trouble, just like we saw with Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean, I think the officiating just in general in this tournament has not been very good. I have definitely seen that sentiment. Like, it hasn't been awful, right? There haven't been a ton of terrible calls, but there have just been a lot of questionable things, right? The ejection in the North Carolina Baylor game. Yeah, I didn't like that. Um, I've seen a lot of, right, a point of emphasis this year for officials was supposed to be not rewarding three-point shooters who kick out their leg and then get contact with that. But that's getting called as a defensive foul every time now in the tournament. Like, I think three, t- two or three times Iowa State got called for that against Wisconsin, where the only contact was made against the kicked-out leg of a jump shooter. Like, they, they, I just think the officiating has not been great this uh, this tournament. But you play with what you got. So you adjust to what the officials are calling, and you go from there. And how do we all feel about our matchup versus Miami? I think this is probably our... I mean, it seems weird to say when we're as far as we are in the tournament, but this might be our best matchup so far. seems like we're going in reverse. I think LSU is still our hardest matchup than Wisconsin, and now I feel like Miami is a team that we should be able to handle with our defense. They're not fantastic defensively, and if we can lock down Wisconsin, I feel like we can lock down Miami similarly. Obviously, they are very hot, taking out good teams along the way, just like we have. Yeah, I I agree that uh, I like this matchup. Um, so um, I when I was looking at the stats today, I basically called Miami a poor man's Iowa. They're really, really good offensively, but um, in but uh, defensively, they're not great. They're a- they're an average defensive team, which I think is good for Iowa State. Um, I think since we have some offensive struggles, uh, defensive teams can give us fits. Um, and um, the thing that is Miami's had going for them all year is that they don't turn the ball over. But neither did Wisconsin, and we just turned them over pretty much at will. right? So to me, it's going to come down to if we can turn Miami over like we could against Wisconsin, we're going to win this game. That's what it comes down to for me. Miami is was ranked 72nd in the Ken Palm going into this tournament, if I remember correctly. Like Miami, Iowa State is still ranked higher in all the metrics than Miami. Like BPI, Ken Palm, both favor Iowa State um, in this game. The metrics like Iowa State. Um the other thing I noted looking at the stats is that um, Miami is a bad rebounding team, um, especially on the offensive end, which I think is also good for Iowa State because we struggle sometimes um, boxing out, especially if we go to that smaller lineup. But Miami doesn't offensive rebound well, so that's uh, that's another plus for Iowa State that I think makes this a good matchup for us. I noticed in the Wisconsin game, 
uh, when we had the when we had Inaruna in our lineup more often, it almost seemed like our guards were surprised that he was rebounding the ball. I don't know if you guys noticed that. We had three or four rebounds where a guard basically bounced off Inaruna because he was getting the ball, and <laughs> I think they were like, "Oh, somebody is rebounding the ball." Because usually, I mean, Condit and Jones know their role. They basically screen and box out, and that's all they do. It's impressive how many minutes they can put in a game without putting anything at all into the box score. They screen, they box out, they pass the ball at the elbow, and that's and, and generally they all they do. They do foul, yeah, as well. I was trying to list positive things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think, But I think this is a very, very winnable game for Iowa State. I won't say I'll be disappointed if they lose, but I think this game is very winnable. Um, I think, yeah, I think we're just... I think we're the better team than Miami. I'm not sure you're allowed to be disappointed if your team that got picked unanimously to finish last in their conference is in the Sweet 16. Like, this is beyond all hope. But you're favored in the Sweet 16, right? Yes, sure. you weren't supposed to be there, but now you're there and you're the better team. It would be almost disappointing to lose. Yeah, I mean, anything happens in March, though, so... It wouldn't be a dis. It wouldn't make the season a disappointment by any means. This season is a success. Regardless, this season was a right. success when we made the tournament. This when we won three games, success. Yeah. <laughs> so this season is already a resounding success. I would just be disappointed if you end up bowing out in the tournament to a team that I think you're better than. And I definitely feel like KU is already. I think they're a seven point favorite against Providence on the other side of this bracket. So if we manage to get through Miami, we're seeing a team that we know, we're really familiar with, and we almost won a game with in Allen Fieldhouse. Like, that's not a matchup you necessarily feel like you're going to win, but you at least know what you're getting into and you know how to scheme against that team. So that's it's hard not to the worst matchup for you. Times, it's hard to beat a team three times in one year. Yeah. So, so basically what we're saying is there's a, a, a possibility that this team goes to the Final Four. It definitely is on the outskirts. I wouldn't be shocked. No, it's not likely. Don't I am get more your... shocked that they made it to the Sweet 16 than I am if they went to the Sweet 16 to the Final Four, if that makes Agreed. sense. Agreed. I agree. Yes, I agree completely. Don't, so don't buy your tickets to New Orleans yet for the Final Four, but also start thinking about if you want to buy tickets to New Orleans for the Look Final Look at some plane tickets. Uh-huh. Start looking at the prices. Also... Maybe start looking for tickets to Minneapolis for the women's Final Four, Wyatt. Uh, can you fill us in on how the Cyclone women did this week in the first and second rounds of the NCAA tournament? Yeah, of course. So the first and second rounds of the Greensboro region were hosted in Hilton Coliseum in Ames, Iowa. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to be able to watch both the UT Arlington game and the Georgia game that the Iowa State women's team played. And looking at these matchups now after the fact, I was expecting to see much more of a difference uh, statistics-wise from the Iowa State team than I actually did, uh, which is kind of frustrating, not going to lie. We'll get into that here in a second. But the UT Arlington game, to me, was a nail-biter, and I don't think it really should have been. I felt like we were bricking everything. We wound up 7-for-20 from 3. Um, UT Arlington wasn't that much better at 7-for-16. But at the end of the first half, I feel like we were 1-for-8, and they were maybe 4-for-8 or 9 or something. It just felt like there was a huge offensive spread on what we could and couldn't make and that that also went for a a field goal attempts as well um but we just had this really awful offensive struggle in the first half and really the start of the second half as well luckily 
we kind of picked up the pace and got a little wind in our sails in the latter half of the second half uh, to get our score up to the final of 78 to 71. Um, Ashley Jones really pulled through, as she usually does, scoring 36 of our 78 points, uh, along with having 15 rebounds, which we definitely needed. The other thing that really saved us in this game were our free throws that we were making. We shot um, 57%, which isn't great, uh, but we had 15 of those made, uh, while UTA only had 16 attempts total, 10 made. So we got an extra, you know, five points above them. Yeah, the, the free throw, right? This Iowa State team is the second best free throw shooting team in the nation. And we shot pretty poorly from the free throw line in the, that UT game. Like 57%, this team shoots like 80%, 80 or 85% from the line on average. So that was really, really sad. It was really sad. And we could have used those points too, because only winning by, you know, seven points against this, uh, what what seed were they? 13 or something? Four, 14. Um, 14, 14 and three matchup. Um, you know, only winning by that much to me showed that we we just weren't playing well. It didn't feel like. Yeah, it was definitely an off game for sure. I mean, I was yeah. watching that game on TV and I was just a little bit confused. It was not what we're used to seeing for sure. This should have been an open and shut case pretty quick. And it was a lot closer than we wanted it to be for the majority of the game. But a win's a win and we moved on and that's what matters at the end. And Sometimes having those bad games can almost be a positive because it kind of teaches your team how to operate in a close game without that game being Baylor or somebody. Not that they're a concern anymore in the women's bracket. So right before the women played, uh, I did get a chance to see Georgia play Dayton, which was their first round matchup, uh, an 11 seed. And they absolutely demolished him. So after seeing a struggle against UTA, I just didn't feel like we would be in a good position to take on Georgia because they looked pretty hot coming into the second round. So yeah, even though I felt like we weren't poised to be a matchup there, it was certainly a fun game. Not only did Hilton explode when we were formed of the men's team going to the Sweet 16 during a timeout, uh, because the end of that game kind of coincided with the, the start of the women's game, but the women's team absolutely crushed this Georgia team with a final of 67-44. to Not a great offensive game. Again, it was still a little off, and looking at the box score on the offensive side, the, the main difference was we didn't just have Ashley Jones carrying the team. We actually had other people scoring and getting a significant points for us so uh, a couple stats Ashley Jones 12 points 10 rebounds that's you know great uh, Lexi Donarski 20 points three three rebounds uh, she was the high point score for this game Morgan Kane 10.6 rebounds and of course Emily Ryan of 15.6 rebounds and nine assists we're really spreading out just the the offensive mojo I guess for this team in this game which was great again not the best performance I've seen from this team they're not playing to the potential that we've seen earlier this season but we came across with this this win. Free throws were still pretty abysmal, 14 for 20, not fantastic, uh, but much better than Georgia, who was only two for two. 100% sure, but you only had two attempts, so not great. Overall, a win's a win, though, and we'll be seeing the women play number 10 Creighton in Greensboro on Friday, March 25th. So stay tuned, definitely watch that, and uh, root for your women's team. I don't know about you guys, but it's going to be really hard to wait until... Um until uh friday for both of these games like i'm so pumped for both of these teams right now and i gotta work an entire week before i get to see either of these teams play again that's just that's mean that's mean yeah we've been so spoiled with non-stop basketball for the last four days basically that i'm like what do you mean what do you mean there are no games today? yeah i no. need to see <laughs> no, games I'm like, no i'm like i don't know what to do with my life 
I have to work to, at I'm work? Supposed, yeah, I'm supposed to work at work now? What's Ew. that? Yeah. But we will find other things to, to entertain us as the NHL, uh, the uh, uh, the NBA making playoff runs. And, of course, the NFL is always uh, in the news cycle. And Kyle, fill us in on uh, all that transpired in the NFL these last couple of weeks. Yeah, so Ian Rappaport and Adam Schefter never get a day off during the year, it seems like. Uh, always something going on in the NFL, um, especially this season with a crazy quarterback carousel. Um, it all started, obviously, with you know Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers coming back, Russell Wilson, the massive trade to Denver. We've talked about all of that, but recently... Uh, Deshaun, the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes heated up. Um, this caused Baker Mayfield to say that he wanted to be traded, uh, out of Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland said, nah, fam, we're going to keep you. Uh, when it looked like they're, they weren't in the running for a Deshaun Watson trade anymore. Baker Mayfield was pissed. Uh, and then Cleveland eventually acquired Deshaun Watson. Um, details of that trade include the Browns getting, obviously, Deshaun Watson in a 2024 sixth overall pick, or not sixth overall, uh, sixth round pick, sorry. The uh, Houston Texans do get a massive haul in return. They get a 2022 first round pick, which is the 13 overall pick in this year's draft a 23 and 24 first round pick, a 22 fourth round pick this year, which is the number 107 overall pick, uh, and then a 2023 third round and a 2024 fourth round pick as well. In a corresponding move, the Browns traded their current backup uh, quarterback Case Keenum to the Buffalo Bills, and it is assumed that Baker Mayfield will be on his way out soon. Uh, he told the Cleveland Browns that he wanted to be traded to the Indianapolis Colts. Um, that's not really how that happens unless you're a player like Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson where you have a no-trade clause. Uh, but unfortunately, the Colts are out of the running for him now as just today, March 21st, uh, Matt Ryan was traded to the Colts uh, from Atlanta. So Atlanta's in the middle of a huge rebuild right now, even with Matt Ryan as their quarterback. Keep in mind, Calvin Ridley is suspended uh, all of this upcoming season. They're weak at running back. Their offensive line is garbage. They need a complete rebuild. Uh, so Atlanta traded away Matt Ryan. Um, instantly, Matt Ryan and the Colts become definitely a playoff team. I mean, Matt Ryan is a better quarterback, in my opinion, than Phillip Rivers was two years ago for the Indianapolis Colts when they made it into the playoffs as a seven seed. Um, so... Matt Ryan inherits a much better offensive line, a great running back, a very solid defense, so this team will be in contention in the AFC. Uh, corresponding move, Atlanta signs Marcus Mariota to a two-year deal um, to be their quarterback. Also in the quarterback news, uh, it was actually two weeks ago now, uh, Carson Wentz was traded from the Indianapolis Colts to the Washington Commanders. According to Sports Illustrated's Nick Shelby or Selby, sorry. Uh, Washington apparently made a run for Andrew Luck to try and lure him out of retirement. Obviously, that did not go so well as they now end up with Carson Wentz. Uh, details of that trade Indianapolis gets a 2022 third rounder, a 23 third rounder that is upgraded to a second rounder if Carson Wentz plays more than 70% of the snaps in the season, and a 2022 second rounder. 
Washington obviously gets Carson Wentz, and they also get a 2022 second rounder in exchange. Uh, other news, the New Orleans Saints quarterback job or quarterback vacancy has been filled. Uh, they will retain Jameis Winston for two years uh, in New Orleans. Other big news, other big trade news at least, uh, Devontae Adams was traded to the Las Vegas Raiders. Everyone in the AFC West is bolstering their roster significantly. The Raiders do send a 2022 first-round pick, which is number 22 overall, and a 2022 second-round pick, number 53 overall to the Packers. The Packers now have four uh, top 60 picks in this year's uh, NFL draft to work with to upgrade that offense, and they're going to need to spend it at wide receiver. Uh, Devontae Adams, for his troubles of... Um, his angst towards the Packers for giving him the franchise tag. He gets a five-year extension in Las Vegas uh, worth $142.5 million. 67.5 of that is guaranteed, and that is a 28.5 average annual value for Devontae Adams. So big news there. Obviously, the uh, AFC West gets a little bit stronger as the uh, worst quarterback in that division but still a top half quarterback in the league. Uh, Derek Carr gets probably arguably a top five wide receiver in the league right now. So big moves for Las Vegas. Speaking of big moves, since the NF or since the MLB is officially back, teams have been busy. Mike, can you fill us in on everything that's been going on in the Major League Baseball? Yeah, a lot of the big-name free agents um, made their destinations um, known here over the last couple of weeks. Um, I'm not going to give you all of them. I'll just give you some of the highlights. I think the biggest surprise, at least to me, I don't know about you guys, was that uh, the Twins actually went out and signed Carlos uh, Correa, who many people said was the biggest, um, best available free agent that there, that there was in this class, and the Twins of all teams um, went out and signed him. It's a three-year, $105 million deal, but there are opt-outs after the first um, two years there. Just a huge signing for the Twins. This deal was a little out of the blue, I would say. Uh, I wasn't exactly sure how the Twins were going, but obviously it's very clear here now, um, as they had traded for a shortstop, uh, and then traded him away, and now they signed the shortstop. Um, I don't know if Correa was their intention all along, but that's that's huge for them. But also kind of out of the blue is that it came at like 1 a.m. as well. Yeah, I was in bed. I woke up to the text that it happened um, and just thought I was sleepy and wasn't reading the text right and went back to bed and then read it again. And I was like, oh, that's us. We did that. Yay. Yeah, I was super excited about that one. Um, the next domino to fall after Correa was the shortstop I thought the Twins were going after, which was Trevor Story. He ended up um, with the Red Sox on a six-year, $140 million deal. Um, so definitely a lot more years, less annual value, but, uh, but three more years on that one. Um, another surprise, Chris Bryant ended up signing with Colorado. Um, I didn't think Colorado was trying to compete this year. So that was a little bit of a surprise signing, at least to me. That was a seven-year, $182 million contract. Um, a couple of other big-name signings that we'll go through quickly. Um, uh, 
we've got um, Freddie Freeman um, went to the Dodgers on a six-year, $162 million deal. Uh, Nick Castellanos went to the Phillies, five years, $100 million. Uh, Jorge Soler, um, three-year, $36 million to Miami. Um, and then there is uh, also... Um, no, those are all the big... Oh, Anthony Rizzo to the Yankees. Sorry, that's the one I missed. Anthony Rizzo um, signed with the Yankees as they add more power to that potent infield. So most of the big-name free agents are now signed. Um, there are still um, a few out there, but um, and you could probably expect to see a few trades here before um, the end of the season, but spring training is well underway. Opening day is in uh, is uh, two weeks from Thursday, so we're less than three weeks from opening day, um, and things are going well. It's good to see baseball back. It's good to be able to watch some baseball on TV from sunny Florida. So that's been fun. Any questions about anything baseball related from anybody? Are we good? Everyone's been on board. We're good. All right. So in Mike's stupid rules. Now there were a lot of things that happened in the NCAA tournament that I could talk about, um, and I will get to both of those, both of the two on my list. I'll get to those in future weeks. But there was one thing that happened over the weekend in college hockey that was so crazy that I just had to talk about it um, this week. So uh, in college hockey, in the CCHA, which is um, one of the, the, uh, the college hockey tournament, um, or one of the college hockey conferences, um, something crazy happened. So they were playing their conference tournament this weekend. Um, it was two Minnesota schools, so it was Minnesota State University Mankato um, playing against the Harvard of the North, Bemidji State University um, from Bemidji, Minnesota. And um, what basically what happened is the game uh, went into overtime, tied at one, and uh, Minnesota State scored um, the winning goal um, to, to get the 2-1 win in overtime, and the replay official quickly confirmed that the goal was good. Um, so then uh, the team shook hands. Bemidji State left to the locker room. Mankato State had the trophy celebration. They were celebrating on the ice. Um, all the fans left. All of this happened. And then suddenly somebody came to the commissioner of the league. This is about 40 minutes after the game. Somebody uh, came to the commissioner of the league with an, a replay angle that very clearly and obviously showed that the, that the net had jumped up off the ice and the puck actually came in under the net and didn't enter the net regularly. This was an angle that the replay official apparently did not see when he ruled the goal as good. So the commissioner of the, the conference used his powers to essentially wave off that goal. Now, both teams had already left the ice. The officials had left the ice. They were in the locker room. All the fans had left the stadium. But the commissioner essentially waved off that goal, brought both teams back onto the ice, and resumed the game from that point. So this is this was an hour after the game is when he made this decision. The game had already been over for an hour. Mankato State had the trophy, and... um. And they resume the game. Now, three three game minutes later, Mankato or Minnesota State, Mankato scored um, the real game winning goal. Um, so in the end, it was the same result. It was just crazy, right? So 
commissioners do have this power in most sports, right? Like Rob Manfred, if he wanted to, can change the result of games. I mean, this is really unprecedented. You don't see this happening, but it is within the legal rules, and it was just amazing. I want to know what you guys think of of this decision to change the result of a game 40 minutes after the game is already over. I think that's really bad because it was a mistake. Like, if you look at the NFL rule book, right, there, there is like a palpably unfair act. And I actually pulled it up here because I was like, man, I don't think Roger Goodell could do anything like this in the NFL. And sure enough, reading this rule, it says that he can only do something that he deems so extraordinarily unfair or outside the accepted tactics encountered in professional football uh, that has, you know, a major effect on the game. And I feel like a mistake on ruling a touchdown in this example for, for football would not warrant waving off that score and replaying the game from that point. Like, doing that in hockey, I, I just, that doesn't vibe with me. I don't know. That's weird. Yeah, I think that's wild. I can't imagine that happening in football of any level. I I can't imagine the fan outrage of making someone come back and do that again. Uh, you know, you were talking about Roger Goodell and things that are unfair outside the bounds. I just remember that Ram Saints game that everybody and their grandma knew that that was blatant pass interference. And they were like, yeah, I guess we made a mistake. All right. The Rams are going to the Super Bowl. Like there is nothing that can be that blatant that we wouldn't just say every single time in professional sports. It seems like their goal is just to say, yeah, yeah, we messed up, but, uh, we're going to move on now, even if that's for a chance to play in the Super Bowl. So it's pretty crazy that he was like, come on back, boys. We're going to replay it because I decided I mean, just to imagine if that was the precedent, like right, exactly. you would have coaches trying to find the most nitpicky things to go and complain to the commissioner about to overturn a result of a game. I can't say as I hate it. I kind of like it. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. level just, of ridiculous gamesmanship. But when when is a game over now, right? We've already gotten to the point where you've got to have a five-minute review at the end of a basketball game right. to see if that buzzer beater counted or not, right? Now you've got to wait. Is, do you, is, what, what's the cutoff here? Can, can I come now? Can I show him that replay angle and we restart the game, right? Where is the cutoff? Because we don't have a cutoff. So now that we have a precedent, right – if this was just a regular season game and not a conference tournament championship with a automatic bid to the NCAA tournament on the line, do we just shrug our shoulders, right? Some say the only reason he resumed it is because Mankato was going to the tournament anyway. They're number two in the nation, whereas Bemidji would have needed to win that game to go to the tournament, and they wanted another team in the tournament. I mean, that's just speculation, but... Yeah, that that should not influence this decision, in my opinion. Yeah. I'm curious to know I, what the I, NCAA I rulebook looks like for hockey, because for for the NFL and the NCAA as well, uh, in the rulebook it explicitly states that the referee declares the final score, and when he says, um, you know, you know, the referee's decision is always final. For the most part, you're never going to see a commissioner or any conference official or anything override that. Yeah. So so the NCAA rulebook does have something similar for hockey. Basically, it says. The, the officials have control of the game until both teams have left the ice for their locker rooms um, is essentially the way the, the NCAA rulebook reads for that. Um, so And that had happened, right? So the, this was no longer a decision for the officials um, to make. They, they were done. They were back in their locker room. They were done. They hadn't left the stadium. No one had left the state. Well, the fans had left the stadium. The teams had not left the stadium yet. 
Um, but yeah, so I don't know. To I don't like I don't like this one bit. Yes, you want to get things right, but for me, this is taking getting things right a little too far. Yeah, I I agree with with that analysis. Plus, can you imagine? Getting done and taking off your sweaty pads, and they're like, slap them back on, boys. Get out there. <laughs> Get That'll out there. One of the worst. Or you're, you're, just, you're just exhausted, and you're finally relaxing. Maybe you're already in the ice bath, and they're like, nope. Get back out there. Yeah, you're coming down from that adrenaline rush, and then all of a sudden... You're like, oh, sorry, sprained ankle. I'm going to have to stay back here. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, in the end, I guess you could say no harm, no foul, but I'm just concerned about the the precedent that it sets going forward. Yeah, I would agree. So. After a game is done, whatever mistakes were made in that game, that just is what it is. That's yeah. the whole point of the game. You play it in the game, and once it's over, you got to deal with it. That's why yeah. reviews exist. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and we can talk about how on earth the TV broadcast for a Division One hockey game for two schools that none of you three knew existed – prior to an hour ago, um, how a TV broadcast for that game had more replay angles than the replay official. We can talk about that. That's a whole different problem. But um, once it's over, it's over. Once the replay official held, uh, said that goal stood, it's it's over. So anyway, speaking of things that are over, once we take a write-that-down prediction off the board... It is over, and that's what we're going to do here in our accountability session. And this is actually, this might be overall the best accountability session collectively we have ever had. Um, that makes sense while I'm not involved in it. <laughs> it's, it's also it all thanks good, to the men's basketball team. <laughs> yes, it is pretty much all thanks to the men's and some women's basketball team. Um, so first is Kyle, oh, sorry, is Wyatt's prediction that he made at the beginning of the basketball season that the Cyclone men would make the Sweet 16, which we gave him a home run for at the time, obviously. Um, but that is now correct. So for that, why it gets a ding-ding-ding-ding. Ding-ding-ding. Ding-ding-ding. Um, I predicted the Vikings would trade Kirk Cousins and get at least a second-round pick. Uh, he signed an extension to stay in Minnesota. I'm taking this off the board now. We're not going to trade him at this point. So, nah. Nah. Kyle predicted that Chris Bryant would sign with the Royals. Um, he did not, as we heard in our MLB segment. So, nah. 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 Uh, the week after Wyatt made that Cyclones to the Sweet 16 prediction. Oh, no, sorry, not the week after. Much later, excuse me. Much later, he made um, a prediction that they would make the round of 32, which they have to to make the Sweet 16. So, ding, 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 ding. I predicted that both the men and the women would make the Sweet 16, which they did. So, ding, 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 ding. Ding, 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 ding. ding. Uh, Wyatt predicted there would be an MLB game, including spring training, in March. And there have been many, many spring training games already. So, ding, 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 ding. Ding, 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 ding. Uh, I predicted the Cyclone women would win a Sweet 16 Cyhawk matchup. Um, Iowa did not hold up their end of the bargain. They lost on a buzzer beater to Creighton um, in the round of 32. That's why Iowa State is going to play Creighton on Friday, not Iowa. So for that, I get a nah. Nah, nah. Josh predicted that Iowa State would beat LSU in the first round of the tournament. So ding, 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 ding. Ding, ding, ding. And Wyatt predicted that Iowa and Iowa State would play in the men's tournament. Again, Iowa did not hold up their end of the bargain um, with uh, them getting beat by the Richmond Spiders in the first round. So for that, Wyatt gets a... 
Nah. Nah. Man, these guys are scrubs. Yeah, Iowa just needs to step it up. Be better. <laughs> They're bad. They are bad. They need to be better. We're better than them. Um, to start putting things back on the board, I'll get us started. I'm going to say the Twins aren't done making moves now that um, they've got Carlos Correa. They're, good, they're, they're obviously going for it this year now, and I think they need pitching to do that. So I'm going to predict that the Twins trade for a starting pitcher. I'm going to put that on. A starting pitcher between now and opening day. Hmm. I have no so they've been they've been rumored to be talking to the A's about um, Frankie Monta- Montas and Sean Manaya, as well as talking to the Rays about or the Rays, excuse me the Reds about Luis Castillo, um, and they've had some conversations with the Marlins as well for a starter. So you're saying it's likely? I'm saying they're looking. I'm not sure if the price is going to be right, but they're at least looking. What is the current like? What is the projected opening day? starting rotation right now uh it would be who would it be sunny gray dylan bundy uh joe ryan um who next uh ober and insert somebody here i have no idea who the fifth starter would be right okay besides gray and bundy yeah joe uh, ryan and bailey ober are both rookies yeah, I was like, oh, I hadn't heard of anyone else. Yeah, um, Joe Ryan pitched like 60 innings for the Twins last year. Bailey Ober pitched a few more. He might not technically be a rookie anymore because of that. But, um, um, yeah. Yeah, fifth starter is TBD right now. I feel like this is a single. I, I feel like they I feel like they have to make a trade to get another starter in order to be competitive. You don't go out and get and sign Carlos Correa without making another move to make your roster better. Yeah, probably single or double. I can't say as I'm that informed about it, So, but I would agree with Kyle's logic there. I'm sorry, Mike. I'm kind of leaning towards a single. I wouldn't be upset with that. Do it, because I am also have, you know, would have no idea. Do you have anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? Yep, he's also relishing in that Cyclone win, even though it came against his Badgers. Um, he's predicting they're going to keep it going. He's predicting the ICU men will win this Sweet 16 game against Miami. I believe BPI gives us like a 55-56% chance to win that game right now. We are actually favored via the metrics, although not Vegas right now, betting odds, so single? Either, yeah, either way, I think it's still a single. Okay, single it is. Wyatt, what do you got? This past weekend was the first Grand Prix of the Formula One season in Bahrain, and we will talk about Formula One sometime after March Madness. Uh, but that is what my prediction has to do with. I am going to predict that we see Nico Hulkenberg again in this Formula One season. And for some background information, this guy is a reserve driver, a backup driver for a team. And he filled in because another driver got the coronavirus. Uh, before this Grand Prix, like like two days before or something, I think he, uh, he tested positive. So it was interesting that we'll see a reserve driver, which is pretty rare. Um, a little bit less so with last season, but still a, a very rare occurrence to see a reserve driver, especially he, two times in he, a season. He filled in for Vettel yes. in this race. Correct. So is he like the reserve driver for every team? So like one no. driver is out regardless of the team this guy drives, or does it depend on which team a guy is out from? It depends on the team. So he's the reserve driver for what are they called now? Racing Point, I think, is what they named themselves this year. Uh, it's um, it's Alpine, Aston Martin, Alpine, Alpine. Yeah, whatever. They're, they they change it every yeah, year. Yeah, no, no, no. Sorry, it's 
Wait, no, because Alpine is the BWT, the former Racing Point one. So Alonso, Fernando Alonso, and Esteban Ocon uh, race for um, Alpine. It's just Aston Martin. Okay, so now it's Aston Martin because, like I said, it doesn't really matter. He he's yeah. on one team, and there's only two drivers per per team that would normally race. Um, so, so one of those two drivers would have to be out again for him to race. Gotcha. Okay, that that's really and what e- I wanted even then, to know. Yes, yeah, and even then they could pick a different reserve driver as well. Yes. So how rare is this? Is this like in hockey where the the random dude who's like an accountant by day just gets <laughs> tapped somehow to be the goalie like what happened a couple years ago is is that the level we're looking at here i know nothing about no, f1 it, it's not as rare as a uh, as the emergency backup goalie which is the greatest thing in sports by the way right i, that's I agree in hockey absolutely it's the closest you can get to just like picking a random fan out of the stands basically to take your technical free throws like all right you're part of the game now <laughs> yeah i'm gonna abstain from this though because i have no if they idea picked, well, if they pick the player to shoot the free throws as badly as they do for those mid-game shooting contests nobody would make one ever why do they always oh, pick man. bad people to do those mid-game <laughs> shooting contests like, they don't have to pay out can, can you shoot it for more than five feet can you even throw a ball 10 feet in the air if no, come play this game. You don't want to be giving away John Deere's every other week. Yeah. What I'm looking for in this prediction is probably somewhere between a high double, low triple. I was I'd say probably double. Gonna, I was going to lean towards a double just because I think COVID cases are going up in Europe again, and most of this is waste in Europe and Asia. So I think yeah. it's possible that somebody could get COVID again. And I, I think this race. is a double, and he's he's the most likely replacement right now on the reserve list. So. I dig it. What do you got, Kyle? Uh, So sticking with the world of F1, uh, since we had our previous, our first F1 race of the season on uh, Sunday, March 20th in Bahrain, uh, despite the slow start uh, from Mercedes Petronas in the driver or in the constructors championship, I'm going to say that Mercedes is going to end up winning the constructors championship. Uh, now, for reference, for all of our listeners and uh, former cast member, or not former, sorry, current cast members, are you trying uh, <laughs> to tell me and Ariane something? Yeah, no, not currently. Uh, so, Lewis Hamilton and George Russell are the two Mercedes Patronus drivers right now. Uh, Lewis Hamilton being the uh, reigning F1 champion for what is it, Wyatt? Now, well, not six. It was six years in a row previous, prior to Max Verstappen winning last season, correct? Um, are you talking about constructor championships or um, world? Well, constructors, I guess, Mercedes. So, yeah, they've had it for um, since like 2016. Here, let's look here. 2014. Um, prior to 2014, it was Red Bull for five years. So Four this years. year they placed third and fourth in the first race of the season scoring points, but... Red Bull clearly has the faster cars as Red Bull was leading the entire race. Um, And Ferrari obviously has the fastest car on the track right now. Uh, Mercedes seems to be having some powertrain issues with all the other uh, Mercedes powertrain uh, racing cars uh, scoring, well, finishing in the final, in the last sixth uh, cars of this race. Um, so Mercedes seems to be having a few issues this year, but I have a gut suspicion that them waiting on some parts to come in means that they're going to finish the season 
winning the constructors championship. You're probably right. And I hate it a lot. Um, and the reason why I think that is not only do they have issues with, with the engine, um, but or with the power units, uh, but also with the suspension, you know, the new downforce rules and everything causing the cars to porpoise and whatnot. And the new tires seem are absolutely wild this year. We'll get into the that. massive tires. They're huge. Yeah. I, my gut read would say this is probably a double as well. Like they probably will, but they might not. I, I don't really know. I'm, I'm fine with a double, so y'all can just agree and give me a double. I think you answered my first question when I wondered if Mercedes Patronus was a team, a person, a drink, or a Harry Potter spell. So, like, that helped me out once you answered that question. And I was wondering what sport we were constructing things in. So I'm really <laughs> fully out of my depth here. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and agree with Wyatt. Yeah, whatever why it says, I go with. <laughs> I, I read that prediction, and I was like, I don't know what any of that means. Well, we'll do another intro to F1 uh, episode sometime after March. Yeah, I'm going to need this. you guys to send me like a six-page document or something before <laughs> we're going to start talking about this. Actually, Ariane, if you have Netflix, go watch Drive to Survive on Netflix. Sponsor yeah, Netflix. Really Netflix, sponsor us. Will you tweet at them? I can. You yeah, you should do that. You should also give us your prediction. Double so, so, for me. Yeah, double. Yeah, double. Yeah, yeah, double. Yep, yep. So uh, my prediction to finish us off, I'm going to take us back to the familiar, comfortable world of college basketball. Uh, and my prediction is that only one one seed will make the final four. Only we currently have three left. The only yeah, one that is out is Baylor. Yep. Because the Bears Gonzaga, are bad. Arizona so and it, Kansas. Is that, an, is that exactly one? Or That's one what or only less. one means. I, I didn't know if that was a one or less or exactly one. Just okay. one. One is my number. Uh, what are we thinking for this? Double? Triple? I don't think that's a double. I mean, what? Ugh. My gut read here would probably be a triple. Because I, I could see it happening. I could see Kansas getting knocked off. And then maybe something would, silly with Gonzaga. I would argue that the one seeds in all of their prospective regions are by far the favorites still. Agreed. I would also yeah, they're definitely the favorites, but... That, that apparently doesn't mean much in March. Depends on what site you look at. Some some have Houston as the favorite in the South. That's fair. But Kansas and Gonzaga are definitely the favorites. Triple? I'm fine with the triple. I'm into that. Yeah. I'll take a triple. I'm okay with that. Just continues with my MO of uh, only triples and home runs. That's all I like. <laughs> Very good. With two singles, two doubles, and a triple, that concludes our Write That Down prediction segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 168 of the 8311 cast. Appreciate y'all sticking around. Make sure you check in next week for episode 169. That's also going to be a great episode, just like this one was. But until then, signing off for the 8311 cast, we have your hosts, Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Barry, and Wyatt Teeter. Talk to y'all again next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Beat Miami. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones, take down the U.